So we have been doing Saints and Scoundrels for quite a few weeks now. This is week number five, and we're going to do the character of Mary, uh, the mother of Christ. It's very fitting as we enter into uh, the time of, of Christmas here next week. Uh, but really a fascinating character and a character that I think as Protestants we tend to shy away from a little bit and sort of intentionally downplay when, when we really shouldn't, um, that there is so much of her character to, to honor and to learn from. Um, so a delight to do that this morning. Somebody open us in prayer. Are you willing to do that for us? Nick, would you do that? Yes. Thanks. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together this morning and being able to worship together and just to be in community together and to have your mother Mary on our mind. Um, thank you for all of the blessings we have this week. Thank you for resetting us and letting us be in your presence today and let our conversations and thoughts honor you in Jesus' yes, name. Pray. Amen. Stephen, would you mind to open us up with um, a rendition of Mary Did You Know? Um, my voice I got a little phlegm in okay. the throat. Just go for Kenny Rogers then. <laughs> Next time. You got to know when to fold. Um, let's open up our, our Bibles, Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 38. We're going to do two readings, just two. There's a blue, couple of blue bombs around. Luke 1, 26 through 38. And then if somebody wants to go ahead and snag the second reading, we'll just do two. It's Luke 1, 46 through 55. <clears throat> Whoever's got the first one, just fire away. This is our primary sort of text on Mary. This is kind of the bulk of what you get about her character, but it's packed with things for us to digest this morning. 26 to what? 38. All right, I can read. Go ahead, Matt. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph <coughs> of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Almost. Oh, 38. 38. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> For nothing will be, it didn't seem to end right. Cliffhanger. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right. Thank you very much. Just a briefly, a couple of things about Mary before we dive into this text and begin to interact with it. Um, it seems that, you know, when you look at Luke's gospel, um, you know, he says, Hey, I. To Theophilus, I've, I've paid close attention. I've talked to first-hand uh, witnesses. I'm trying to keep a careful account of all these things that are taking place. And what you, uh, what I think is interesting is that Mary, I think, has to be one of Luke's sources. 
the types of things that we see, the, the, the acknowledgement of her vision and the, the way she feels, you know, the way she's, it, like even the acknowledgement that she's internally um, holding up all these things in her heart, um, it seems to be that, that she was Luke's source, which I think is fascinating to think that um, her insight here on the Incarnation and if you turn to the book of Acts, which also Luke wrote, we know that Mary was there at the crucifixion and at the resurrection. So what a fascinating thing to think of Luke's source being the mother, the mother of God. Um, a couple other things to just kind of quickly acknowledge was uh, Mary and Joseph were likely very poor. You see, when they came to uh, the, the census and came to Nazareth, they brought their sacrifice, and their sacrifice was, does anybody know, kind of a trivia question? You could, you could do all these sorts of things. You could bring, you know, a ram. You could, you could bring different uh, animals according to what you had available to you. But if you couldn't afford those things, and they're obviously traveling, you could bring two turtle doves. Um, so that, that acknowledgement of the turtle doves, sort of this Christmas iconography, is a, for us a remembrance that Mary and Joseph were pretty low economic status. That's who in this sort of upside-down world is just another layer of this upside-down message of Christ coming in, the King of Kings, through this kind of poor family um, as well. Um, and then lastly, we just to acknowledge that this virgin birth scene that Matt just read for us is a fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called... Emmanuel, Emmanuel. So what we get here in Luke 1.28, what Matt just read, is Gabriel coming to speak to Mary. Obviously very, very famous words that he said um, in the uh, New King James, or the King James rather. It's Hail Mary, what? What do we know? know. Full of grace. It's the Ave Maria. Um, But let's pause here for a second and just, what do you think he is saying there to Mary? Conceptions on this vary widely, but just looking at the verses again. Look at verse 28. I'll read it. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. This is the ESV. The Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, What do you think Gabriel is saying to to Mary? What kind of person do you think she is? As he describes to her this life-changing, world-altering, universe-shaking event, why her? What do you think? What does the text give us? Favorite. Yeah? What, is it, what does that mean? She's favored. But usually if somebody that you can trust, you know, somebody that, you know, honest, you know, all of the positive attributes... But in this case, it's favored to the Lord, to somebody that would be, you know, have a strong faith. Hmm. Yeah. Anybody else want to add to that? I'd say she's been chosen for something. She's been chosen for something. That's right. Congratulations, you won. Which is why she's like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. It seems very similar to what we read on the character study of Job, isn't it? It's interesting that both have an interesting tra- trajectory of congratulations You've won. You're a man of high character. You're a woman full of grace. And now you're about to suffer. (laughs) 
And, and, and I think that that's an interesting thing to pause on because we tend to think the exact opposite. If we were favored by the Lord and blessed by the Lord, we wouldn't suffer. I'm not saying that that's how it happens every time, but I think that there's a biblical logic there. Some of this stuff that we learn in Corinthians, that Paul said, look, you think you're wise because you're not suffering is actually wisdom in that we do suffer. It's how God refines. It's how God grows. When you have suffering, congratulations, you've got a promotion. You know, you're, you're getting a promotion in life. God has blessed you. God disciplines the ones whom he loves. And it's their response to that and their response to that message that is really quite striking. Um, you see people whose responses are very, very negative. They don't want that. I want no part of it. And then we see in our second reading, we'll read Mary's song. She responded quite differently to the message that she was going to suffer, but that she was going to be highly favored and blessed. Now, what's the Catholic doctrine on that? So we just said, hey, you know, she's been, she's been blessed by the Lord. She's been given favor. Uh, is anyone here raised Catholic? You guys, do you, what's the Catholic doctrine on the Ave Maria there? Holy. That she's holy. Okay. Can you flesh that out? What does that mean? Uh, that she, she wasn't just chosen by God, but, you know, when you think of the hierarchy of, you know, we lower than the angels, you know, she was, she was higher than a normal human. She, her place was elevated in the eyes of, of God, yeah. not I just favored. I thought she could even answer prayers. You pray to Mary. Yeah. Help me, Mary. She was that, uh, that powerful. So some of that comes from this verse in the rendering of Hail Mary, full of grace. It's that she is the one that's full of grace. So we've been reading this and kind of ascribing to her, which I think is correct, that Gabriel's saying, look, you are, you are being given grace. They sort of take that and turn it into Hail Mary, who's already full of grace. She's the one that, that, that has the grace. And Gabriel seems to be saying, no, grace is, is being poured out into you, given over to you. And that, how you interpret that is, is very different. Now, here's, here's a couple of, uh, of doctrines, just I think the important surrounding Mary. We'll talk through more as we go. But one is when you think of the term or you hear the phrase immaculate conception, what, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Think, but like, I was so confused on this, but they believe Mary was conceived immaculately. That's right. Yeah, like I always thought it referred to Same. Jesus, but it's not. Yeah, for, for so long. You just think that it refers to, obviously, the immaculate conception of Jesus, right? That he's born of the virgin, and obviously that's not normal or natural, uh, supernatural. And you can come up with the date that they invented that. And it's fairly recently. I mean, it's not, it doesn't go way back. Like they came, some pope came up with that. So there is uh, this doctrine that the Immaculate Conception is actually Mary's conception. So the question theologically is that if, if, if you know, Jesus is going to be born without sin, how could that be if the carrier of Jesus has also fallen into sin? So Mary couldn't carry Jesus. If she's just a fallen sinner like anybody else, um, her being full of grace, there was this kind of conception that she was born immaculately, that she was born without the stain of sin and is a carrier, a proper carrier of Jesus Christ. Now, can anybody think of any doctrines that might answer that biblically? Can you, can you 
you hear anything in, in, in your ears or in your mind? What are we told? Are we told that the sinful nature comes through the line of the mother? No, we're not. Eve sinned first, but the curse on man does not come through Eve. All right, isn't that an interesting thing? Like Eve sinned first as a human being. She's the one who, you know, I guess according to the biblical account, was fallen first, but it was <laughs> when Adam joined into that sin that mankind was cursed. And so it's Romans 5 that picks up on this doctrine and says it's by one man, through one man, the world was fallen. And so through one man, the world would be redeemed. And so we believe that it's because we're a covenant of grace, right? This is our church. We believe in covenant theology. Um, the covenant is that we are represented by our head, and our head is not Eve. Our head is Adam. And we are covered and redeemed not by our covenant head, Mary, but by our covenant head, Jesus Christ. So that doctrine is, a, is, is a, not a biblical text. There's an extra-biblical book uh, of, of James, they believe the Lord's brother, that brings this in. And many people, you know, just uh, even early Christians like Origen, say, look, this is an apocryphal book. It's not, it's, it's, this, is, this is sort of made up. And they attach apostles' names to it to give it credibility. So you'll see that, that sort of thing happen. How about, let's go ahead and, while we're on the subject, talk about perpetual virginity of Mary. Anybody ever heard of that? It's kind of another thing surrounding her character. What would be the point of that? She would remain blameless. She would remain blameless. Now, what, what does that sort of imply about uh, virginity or apply, uh, imply about someone who's married and uh, no longer maintains their virginity? What's the point? It's not as good. Yeah, it's not as good. There's some sort of strange view there that the loss of her virginity and the, you know, having other children and not knowing uh, her husband, Joseph, uh, sort of would diminish her. And they, Catholic doctrine through the ages tries to apply that to that she's sort of the pure bride of Christ, right? That she, she sort of, she's sort of the symbol of the church, that she is just pure. Um, she's holy. She's set apart. She's what we should aspire to be. And she's kind of this, has this relationship with Christ that foreshadows and foregoes that of the purified church. How does that, since she had other children? I, that's a great question. Yeah, what about that, James? Now, I think the, I think the, the answer to that is, is to think, well, she was so young when she, you know, when she was betrothed to Joseph, and she, he might have had a former wife, and the other children that are ascribed to her, um, you know, are not her own. But that's, Purely conjecture. Look at Mark 6, verse 3. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says this, Is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So there's Mark at least saying, Oh, look, there's, you know, there's Jesus, four brothers, not mentioning the names of his sisters, plural. So Mary might have had seven kids. You know, interesting. Look, at, look again at Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. <clears throat> you kind of have the sort of uh, get these genealogies and kind of where this family is coming from. Um, verse 24, because when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but... 
knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. Okay. What's the point of having a virgin birth of Jesus? Knowing that he's not from Joseph? Right. From God? Line yeah. Of Adam, right. Exactly. So that, that's, you guys are both right, making that connection. So the line of Adam is broken. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's testifying to the fact of who he is, this kind of foreshadowed uh, Messiah that was coming. We just read in Isaiah chapter 7. But also it's this qualification is that he is qualified. None of us could bear the cross for one another, could we? We're, just, we're not qualified for it. We've got our own sins to deal with. That's our kind of uh, our memory verse right here in, in Hebrews is, is talking about that. A priest would have to go in and offer sacrifices for himself, and then he have to go in every year. He can't, he's not sufficient to save himself or his people. We need a mediator, and we need somebody who's qualified. Okay, so that's kind of some of the, the doctrines surrounding Mary. Now let's get into her life um, from what we do see in Scripture, some of her biography. Look at her response. Back in verse 38 of chapter 1, let's look together. Gabriel's just told her he's going to bear a son. Who he's going to be, we'll look a little bit more on that in just a second. But let's just see how she responds to that. Somebody read it, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's talk about that for a minute. Right? Angel comes to you, tells you you're going to have a son, you're going to carry the Messiah. She does ask a question, how, how is this possible? I, I am a virgin, and tells her what's going to happen. What does she know about her cult, the culture that she lives in if she's carrying a baby? It's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's going to be a big deal. She's, yeah, she's, now engagement then was a little different from our engagement. It was a sort of legally binding, and engagement was at the time. However, still, it was scandalous. And we, we do see that. She's going to Joseph. She tells him, Joseph, as a, we do see in the text that he says, I'll, you know, I'll kind of uh, remove you discreetly as to not shame you. Um, with the, sorry, would the consequences be more than shame? Like, what would, like, I... Could have been, could have been public punishment, yeah. like stoning. There's like a, a threat of yeah, like mm -hmm. real consequences. Yeah, yeah, real consequences. So what, how does that inform us on her response? What did, what did Nick just read? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it, me, let it be to me according to your word. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's quite shocking. Right? Her faith, what we're informed about Mary is that she... She has a faith like we read in the other accounts of like these patriarchs. She has that level of throw me into it. I trust you. I know it's going to be okay. Abraham, you're going up there, you know, to sacrifice your son. It's like it's okay. We're, we're both coming back. He didn't know that, right? He's going up there trusting in the Lord. And Mary sort of does the same thing. Whatever shame's coming my way, whatever dishonor, whatever kind of miracle you're having. I'm available to you. That's very shocking. But, but think about it more like this. We have an account, almost a parallel account, in the garden with Eve. And if you align the two, Mary and Eve, their responses are, are 
polar opposite from one another. So if you want to turn there, you can. But we can just kind of walk through the Genesis account. Um, in Genesis 3.15, we're told, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What was the promise to Eve in this verse here from Genesis? What was the promise? Sort of that perpetually there would be this curse, right? Childbearing, Adam was going to have to work the ground, labor and toil and sweat. But, but, one day, through the line of Eve, through the line of Adam, there would come an, an heir, a child, that would crush the serpent's head. So the serpent came to Eve and he, what, he spun, he spun lies. Right, sort of tickled that. We talked a little bit about it last week. It's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. He, he did, even in a perfect, uh, I was thinking about it this week. Temptation can make a prison out of a garden. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to just, I was thinking about that too, and sort of like, our homes sometimes are not gardens. Our marriages are not gardens. That, like perfect in the sense of Genesis 1 and 2. But they can be pretty darn great. And temptation can make you feel like it's a prison. You know, and it, it, it tempts you just right there to say, oh, this is terrible and it's so bad. Can you imagine being Eve and thinking, oh, I want more than what God has given me? And that is the same lie that we get all the time um, because primarily we're not filled with worship and gratitude, um, which is interesting. But... Eve has spun this lie, and she basically, you could put Mary's words in her mouth. I'm going to do that. Imagine Eve saying to the serpent, Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And she takes and she eats. Right? She falls in that way. Um, conversely, we have the account of Mary here. That it is, This is the fulfillment of that promise, that through one day an heir will come and crush the head of that old liar. And so through history, through biblical history, through world history, down to our very present lives, very, very present reality, we have this curse, right? But in Jesus Christ, it's finally crushed, and we have hope. And you hear Mary's response when she's told, okay? This is a promise that she, that's spun before her by an angel Gabriel. Her response is, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's great faith. It's beautiful Beautiful faith. Um, let me read this. This is one extra reading, but this middle account when she goes to meet her cousin Elizabeth, uh, listen to what Elizabeth ascribes to Mary. Um, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Listen to this. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. All right? So what are we explicitly told that we should honor Mary for? It's not her 
innate grace that she's given. It's not her immaculate conception. The text says that she's great, like many other of the biblical heroes are great. While we're doing this series, it's because to be great in the Lord is to be great in faith. It's the trust, and it's the hardest fight that we have, whether that's sin or our marriages or purity or abiding in Christ or self-sacrifice, like any lesson that we have to learn, it's sort of the, the axiom is, is resting right here on faith. And those who follow the Lord, they trust Him. And I think it was, um, hmm, what verse was it? I'm going to lose the verse. But it, essentially the application was one of the highest offending things that we can do to the Lord is to not trust Him. There's a verse in my, I have in mind. If I think of it, it comes to me, I'll read it to you. But one of the highest offenses to a holy God, who's all-sovereign, all-powerful, is just to basically live in micro-decisions and micro-thoughts all the time, thinking, but you're not big enough, strong enough, kind enough to do anything about this. Right? And so we see these piercing moments of great faith for our encouragement. That's what they're for. Okay, somebody read the second reading. This is Luke 1, 46 through 55. So the, the narrative is, is Mary's just been told this incredibly weighty news. She accepts it, not really knowing what's about to happen. Um, and she's about to go into exile, and Herod's going to try to kill all the children, and she's going to give birth and you know, uh, lay a baby in a manger. But it's it's going to get wild. She's also told that a sword is going to pierce her heart. Right? So this is she's told up front, this is going to be difficult. I'm going to watch this baby die. Now, I don't know if she knew that. Mary, did you know? That's probably what prompted the song. I have a slight more sympathy for that song now. Uh, but go ahead, Hannah. Thank you. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty and done sorry, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, has scattered he has scattered the proud in the thought, thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Awesome. Thank you so much. So she burst into song. Right, so what's, what's her response to difficult news and coming you know, trial, but also the, the blessing of the Lord is to, is to just worship, right? which is kind of goes back to that. This is an example of her faith. Um, not knowing what's going to happen, she goes into song. Now, what's interesting about this song is look, look back down at your Bibles for a second. Do you guys have in, in those blue Bibles um, Cross-references, does it show you? Usually it's alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, next to the verses. There's none in there? All right, well, then I'll, I'll read them to you. Um, what, what's happening here is pretty phenomenal. And what it tells us about Mary's character is that she is absolutely steeped in her Bible. She knows it. She knows the stories. That's why we're doing this biography series, right? Oh, I'm going to get off on a huge sidetrack here, but uh, we're primarily 
narrative creatures. We just are. Logic is, is great, but it's not what convinces us, right? No one thinks their way into the kingdom of God. We're, we're compelled. It's our appetites. We're narrative people. And so part of preaching, a part of education, right? I was in education for a couple of years. It is primarily, it's, it's captivating the imagination. And so what you get in that is you get stories of heroes. You get men with swords and people in lion's dens and a young boy with a slingshot, right? You get these hooks of, of, uh, of gripping faith. And so Mary has that. She is steeped in the Bible's stories, and she knows who the heroes are. She knows who the bad guy is. She knows who her Redeemer is. Whoa. So let me read you some of these cross-references just so you can get a picture of when she's singing. Uh, and I'll say this. When I, as a preacher, when I hear a sermon, and I can just sometimes I can hear somebody preaching, and it's like almost off the cuff. Another Bible verse comes to their mind, and they can sort of like, not that that has got it memorized, but they can rattle it off, but that their mind is thinking in biblical categories. Does that make sense? Have you ever heard somebody like that? And it just sort of dominoes, and it's like, oh, and it's like this metaphor. And, oh, and it's like this character. And, oh, and I'm, you're weaving in the Bible together is a great sign that you know what you're talking about. Like sometimes Nick and I talk in movie quotes when we, we hang out. It's so much a part of the brain, right? Or you can do it well. Um, let, me, let me go through these verses. Look at verse 46. Verse 46, the Lord says, My soul magnifies the Lord, um, rejoices in God my Savior. 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, Habakkuk 3, 18, Isaiah 61, Deuteronomy 32. Right? All those scripture references she's bringing up. For he has looked upon my humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed. 1 Samuel 1, 11. She's, she's reiterating the words of Hannah, right? When she wants to have a baby, she has Samuel. Luke 1, 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Psalm 71, 19, 1 Samuel 2, 2. Luke 150, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Psalm 103, 17. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Psalm 89, 13. Luke 52, 152. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 1 Samuel 2, 5, Psalm 107, 9. Luke 1, 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Isaiah 41, 8 through 9, and Psalm 98. Last verse. Luke 1, 55. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Genesis 17, 19. That is cool, right? This song, this Magnificat, which is a great song, right? And it would be a cool song for us to sing at some point. Um, is filled. I mean, it's just this tapestry of biblical narrative and biblical history that she calls up, boom, just right to her mind in rejoicing and worship. And what is her worship predicated on? It's, it's what she's seen the Lord do. It's the promises that He's made and He's upheld. And this is how Christians should live. Oftentimes we, we kind of think we're sort of isolated, but our inheritance is all the stories before us. We, we stand on the Lord and say, just like a David, just like an Abraham, just like a, all these promises that you've done, you're going to do that with me too. The same person. You're the same God. You're the same God in the Old Testament as you are in the New Testament. And you're the same God in this new century. All right, and that's who, that's who she is. All right, let's wrap up by, by acknowledging a few things that Mary knew. The text said that she knew. She knew that Jesus would have an everlasting throne. 
Luke 1, 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive, and in your womb, this is Gabriel speaking, you bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Apparently, Bethlehem, which is currently in Palestine, by the way, so if you look in the news and all the fighting, Bethlehem's there. <laughs> it's in Gaza. Um, apparently, at the time, it was like 100, 100 to 200 people that might have lived in Bethlehem, just teeny, teeny, teeny town. But it was the town of, of David, right? So Jesus was to inherit the everlasting throne of his, his father. Second thing, Jesus would be called the Son of, the son of God. Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be born to you. will be called the Son of God. God was her, Mary's, Savior. Look at verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So that sort of flips the script on the sinless Mary from her own testimony, her own singing, right, is that she's my, God is my Savior. And I saw a Catholic apologetic piece this week saying, you know, like, if a person falls into a pit and someone comes and pulls them out of the pit, they, they've saved that person. But if a person was, was walking and didn't see the pit and sort of pulled them out, uh, out of the way of the pit before they fell down, they're also saved in that sense, but they never fell down the pit, which was Mary. She never fell down into depravity, but God sort of saved her in, in sort of a sparing sort of way. Is, is there rationale behind that. I think that's a bit of a, that fits your priors, right, if she has to be sinless. She knew that Jesus was the Savior of the world, Gentiles included, Luke 2, 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. She knew that the sword would pierce her own soul, Luke 2, 35. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, and so that uh, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The last two things we'll cover. Mary was present at the crucifixion. You know the story where Jesus speaks to his mother and hands off to his brother, right, care for his mother. And in Acts 1.14, we're told, that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You have this woman who, in faith, accepted what the angel told her, accepted the consequences of that, the shame, accepted the great burden, the task of raising a child in faith. We saw her qualification, a, a woman full of grace, given grace and favor, but full of Faith, right? That's her explicit blessing. Full of the scriptures, full of strength in that way. If we had more time, it would be a great case study and going around to many of the biblical women. But First Peter makes this incredible remark about women, that primarily the women of old, it says, uh, their, their strength was not in their adorning of their hair and of gold and costly jewels, but it was in their, it was in their quiet <laughs> demeanor which many take to think, oh, it's great, passive, you know, being quiet. But it says that they did not fear anything that was fearful. It's not what it's saying. It's not saying it's passive and timid. 
saying that it's quiet strength. That versus a, a loud or fearful or what I, you know, not to categorize unnecessarily, but many women typically are plagued with anxiety. What would you do if this was coming to you and you were unwed? It would be terrible anxiety, constant worry. But the biblical paradigm, sort of the calling to our mind of what is strength, what does it look like? It looks like quiet, resolute faith, right? And that's hard to do. That's very, very hard to do, but very, very beautiful. All right. She was filled with worship. And that worship was informed, like our worship, like our liturgy, it's informed by Scripture. That's how we worship the Lord. We have to have not just willy-nilly how we feel about the Lord, but we, we infuse the liturgy, what we read back and forth with biblical texts, right? And that was just at her disposal, right, in her mind. And that's, that's what we aspire to be. Any questions as we, as we wrap up, Mary? Any, any thoughts from this morning? I just like the, um, the symmetry thing, you know, the Adam, Christ, Eve, Mary, the tree of the Garden of Life, the cross is a tree. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much symmetry there that I, I like that. Yeah. They were unfaithful at a tree, and Christ was faithful at a tree. Yeah, yeah it's cool, and I think that we have to have these, these pieces. You know, it's no accident that this doesn't come to Joseph, right? And you're going to, you know, you are the heir of David and, and he's going to sit on your throne. Oh, it comes to Mary, right? And Protestants have this tendency, right? We don't really cover Mary. We don't go there. We, we don't want to, you know, uh, insinuate that we're, we're honoring too, too highly, but that, that would be a sin on our part to not honor what the Bible calls honorable, right? She is very honorable for her faith. Uh, my prayer I think a faithful prayer was that I would be more like Mary, myself, and presented with life before me. Is that what we sort of should walk away with as we, how we should view Mary? From today? Yeah. I hope so. Um, And I I think it's just sort of um, what this space allows us to do is just get a small taste, but hopefully from Scripture of yeah, how we should rethink and sometimes pause over these biblical characters. Why are these details there? Because the Bible is interesting in that way in that the, the micro details matter. And it's sometimes not fair. It doesn't feel fair. It's just reality. But we read the narratives very differently than previous generations or those who read the original languages. They would have picked up on these I mean, a, a world where you could be stoned for having a baby right. out of wedlock would have been read completely differently than, than we do. And so it takes time to pause and just think of why, why the details, you know, why the specific words and cross-references. And I hope it does cause us to think more highly of Mary, especially as we approach Christmas time, of the great faith that we are to imitate. Is that some of your when you if you're discussing with a Catholic who's doing some thinking, is mm-hmm. that kind of a, a tact you would take or a line you would take? I would think that'd be the right tact to take. That to not say, "Well, I'm a Protestant, so we swing the pendulum over to you know dishonor or we don't acknowledge her at all." Um, I think that that yes, we amen. But I think we have so much more in the text that we are beholden to. 
that doesn't denigrate her, but just doesn't exalt her to the level of, of Savior or, to your point, of taking prayer requests. Essentially, you know, the, the Catholic doctrine is that Mary, Mary can't be denied. So if you want to get to God, um, Jesus might be austere or too busy, whatever, but you can go to Mary and pray, and she's got all, these, uh, she's got all this merit to her credit right, that she can distribute to you and that she won't be denied. So you, you pray the Hail Mary, right, and she can ask on your behalf, and Jesus is going to turn down his own mother, which is interesting because we have requests at, like, the wedding of Cana that she asked him to do something, and he says no. <laughs> you know, it's like you have these doctrines that I think, to your point, I would walk a Catholic brother through, you know, who are my mother and brothers, the types of things that Jesus says that doesn't exalt her. She's really not mentioned much at all in the Scripture, which if she were to carry the place that she does in Catholic doctrine, I would assume she would have more narrative space. But what we're given is a very honorable, faithful woman. It fits the archetypes of biblical theology um, that Jesus would come through and break the, the curse, that um, sort of it would be a flip on the script to Eve's disobedience would be Mary's obedience. Um, but it doesn't exalt her unnecessarily. So do all Catholics now believe that they're, that she was married herself, born of a virgin and a perpetual virgin? Is that part of their doctrine? Yeah, that, I mean, it's ex that's extremely common. Uh, now, there's variations within Catholicism, just like there are in Protestantism. And in fact, like Calvin and, and Luther believed in the Virgin, the Immaculate Conception. And, and, and I think Calvin believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. But they were all, they were all Catholic, yeah. right? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. You feeling like, is your throat feeling better? You want to sing it? It's worse. I think I can summarize it by saying Mary knew. She did. Amen. Answer all the questions. Here, here. Did we answer? Oh. Yes, no, no, yes, no. Yes. Yes, no. All right, I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the text that we have on, on Mary. Thank you, God, that like we sing in our hymn, just nations that that longed in darkness walked in darkness they, they long for this hope that that came from our vantage point in history it actually came it actually happened and you came to a woman of great faith who imitates um, great worship and so we do pray that we would be like that we would be quick to respond um, remembering who you are what you've done to our fathers and forefathers. And Lord, let it be that we see your power like we're studying Corinthians in our own day. You're still saving. You're still moving. You're still in charge of the world, seated at the right hand of the Father. And bless us as we go into worship today. Draw people to your name. Help us to see more clearly, to worship more earnestly, Lord, and to obey more quickly. In Christ's name, amen.